Welcome to Big Valley Grace Online. My name is Lonnie Skiles, one of the teaching pastors here, and today we're going to dig a little deeper into the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to get them, and let's walk through the, the Scriptures together. Now, I appreciate you joining us today, and it's desire and our prayer that the Lord would speak to us as we look at His Word. He has something here for each of us today. If you have your journals, you can turn to the page on sermon notes. You can follow along. Uh, we also have some additional notes available on, online. You can download those. that have none, a number of different verses that I would encourage you to look at as a family and study the Word of God together. Uh, a lot of verses that we won't be able to cover here today or to even have time to turn to, but there are significant. I encourage you to be a good student of the Word as you uh, really seek the Lord and apply uh, yourself. Well, last week, Pastor Rick started us on the first commandment, that there should be no other gods. And we're going to be looking a little deeper into what that means today. When you look at the commandments and what takes place, all this is because of what God wanted to do in the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, the Lord's desire was be that these, these people who he had freed from Egypt would be his people, that they would be a holy nation, that they would be a, a royal priesthood. Some of the same words that Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 2. God's desire was to set these people apart from all the other nations of the world and to do a unique work in their lives so that as the other nations of the world would see them, they would recognize that there's only one God above all gods. Then all the other things that they had been chasing after and worshiping pale in comparison to a holy and just and righteous and good and merciful Father that the Jews here were worshiping. And that's his desire for us as we would study, is that we too would be a holy people, a people set apart for his choosing, a people wholly committed to following him, a people where he alone is our God. He is the alone that, uh, that we serve. He alone is the one that we love. When you look at the Ten Commandments, it really divides into two pieces. The first four verses deal with our relationship to our Holy Father. The, the rest of the, uh, uh, from commandment, chapter, uh, commandment number five on to number 10, deals with our own personal relationships. In a bigger way, when you look at all that is said on Mount Sinai, Lord reveals His moral code, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Yeah, he's going to lay out His civil code as to how they are to relate to one another in regards to uh, what happens if your animal gets loose and, and, uh, uh, and destroys other people's property or somebody gets hurt. And then he deals with a ceremonial code as to how to worship. And, and this particular verse, when we look at verses 4 through 6, the Lord is saying, here's how I desire to be worshipped. Because it's our tendency of our own heart to create our own image of what God is like. Even today, now we may not make little images of, made out of wood or stone or glass or something like that. But there's a, a challenge in our own heart to make God smaller than He really is, to not stand in awe of Him as He should be. So take your Bibles now and let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and follow along as I read. God says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or the sins of the fathers on their children and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but are showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have here today to open your word and to study it. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak, that, Father, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and heart to receive your word today. And so, Lord, uh, this is your time. I'm grateful, Lord, for the opportunity here today to open your word and the privilege that it is and, and, and the season that we're in. And so, Lord, would you refine us to be your people in every way, that we learn to love you, to grow in our affections for you, that you alone would be that which we love and serve. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're filming today in uh, Big Valley's Prayer Garden. You may not know that we have one. Uh, this is a special place that was created by a, a team of men and women of Big Valley Grace, and many have contributed uh, sacrificially to make this place happen. Uh, it's a special place to come, and you can come anytime and, and sit and to study the Word in a quiet place. And, and Matthew 6 says God notices those things. He notices when we go to the closet and we seek Him, not for the approval of people or people's applause, but we seek Him and we seek His applause and His delight. And he says when we, when, he, when we go to our closet in prayer, when we go to a prayer garden in prayer, it's not the place. It's our desire to meet with Him. And, and he says where even two or three are gathered my name, I, I'm going to be a part of that group. Uh, yesterday when I came here and we were preparing to film here, there was a group of men out just behind me that were having their own Bible study together. And they've been doing that ever since the COVID virus hit. They've been consistently meeting together in prayer. And I encourage many of you to do that, that you get connected, that you find a group of people that even during this season, over the next 10 to 12 weeks, that, that you find people to meet with and pray with and study the Word together. Uh, use the journals that have been available. We've sold a, a, almost 600 of these. And if you've missed it, you can get it online. You can download it. But be a student of the Word and let's study this together. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the questions that has asked, been asked of me is, why are we studying the Old Testament? Why are we looking at the Ten Commandments? And I want to share with you three reasons why I think it's good that we're taking time in this season to look and to study God's Word as it was given in the Old Testament, but also how it relates to Jesus Christ. In fact, as we look at this, not to make any image, Paul says that Jesus Christ, He is the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so the Lord says, I, I don't want you to make anything that even, you, you can't even make anything that comes close to who I am. And then He gives us Jesus where the Word becomes flesh and He dwells among us and we can see who God is and what He is like and His nature and His character. But I think there's three reasons why we're studying today. One is that this word, as we look at Exodus chapter 20, we look at the Ten Commandments, is that it does reveal his character. Um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in the last verse of Matthew chapter 5, is that we must be perfect even as the Father is perfect. And as you look through the Beatitudes, Jesus said, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit murder. The Jews had an understanding that as long as I didn't take somebody's life, that, it was, that I didn't break the commandment. And Jesus says, No, that's not God's heart. That even if I become angry with someone, I've committed murder with them already. If I lust after a woman, I've committed adultery with her already. That, that God's standard is perfection. And, and so part of this, it reveals his character. It also reveals my own rebellion. Paul says, as I look at this word, it brings to light the corruption in my own heart. And that's what this is for. This is to be like a mirror. And as we look at this, particularly this particular passage, we're going to talk about uh, current forms of idolatry today. And it's, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to let's hold up a mirror and, and let's look at ourselves. 
and, and to see, Lord, is the, are, are any of these things true in my life? And so not only does it reveal God's character, and not only does it reveal our rebellion, but also it reveals our own need. Because as you look through this, you'll say, who can be saved? And that was what the people wrestled with in Jesus' day. If this is true, and this is God's standard that we're to be perfect as he is perfect, how can any of us be saved? And I think it's significant that we are studying this today. I remember when I was in the construction world for a number of years, and as I would meet with people, they all thought that they were good enough. They were hoping that they would be good enough, that all that they had done would somehow be weighed in the balances, because much like in schools, you know, boy, if I can just get a C, I can pass the class. And, you know, maybe I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be a Mother Teresa to find God's approval. All I have to do is just get a C. And they have a misunderstanding as to what it really means to find favor with God. And, we go, and we'll discover as we go through this that the only way that you and I might have any hope is in Christ, who paid the price, who removed our guilt and shame, who, who, who it's in His righteousness that we stand, not in our own. And so when we look at these things, I think these, the character, these things show up in the, uh, as we study these uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, that We look at God's character, we look at our re- own rebellion, and we look at our, own, at our own need. So when I look at this commandment, as to that we're not to have, make up any images, and we'll get more into that in just a little bit as to what idolatry is. Who is God that we should worship Him? Who is like the Lord our God? I want to give you several reasons why he should stand alone in our life. One is that he's the eternal one. He's the one that always is, always has been, always will be. He's the ultimate cause of all things. He stands alone in the entire universe, no one preceding him, uh, and no one uh, coming after him. The Bible says that he always is, always was, and always will be. As he was yesterday, so he is today. He is the eternal one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and end. That alone is causes him to be worthy of our praise he also is our creator he's the one that made us we are his workmanship he was intimately involved in our creation when our uh, when our mothers and fathers came together as husband and wife he formed us and knit us together with a purpose in mind paul says in ephesians chapter one that he knew us even before the foundations of the world so He's our creator. He deserves our worship. He also is all that is good. If, if you look in the dictionary of every adjective that describes something good, that's who our Heavenly Father is. He doesn't acquire those characteristics. Those characteristics flow out of Him. Uh, there has never been a time where He hasn't been loving. There's never been a time where He hasn't been kind. There's never been a time where He's never been good. He has Goodness flows out of him. Loving kindness flows out of him. Patience flows out of him. He is all of those things. He is all that is good. His word also, and this word that we have, endures forever, his word says. Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever and ever and ever. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. And so we're privileged to be able to have his word today. In fact, this is how he reveals himself. He doesn't reveal himself in a little statue doesn't even reveal himself in an emotional moment. He reveals himself through his word. He speaks to us here through his word. I don't have to wait for a dream or a vision or a still quiet voice. His word is right here and it's living, it's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. In fact, Paul says it's profitable in my life to teach me, to encourage me, to train me, to show me how I ought to live. And it has always been that way and always will be that way. His word endures forever. And also, our God is near. 
and He's personable. He's not a God that is a billion years away from us. He's not a little statue that can't hear or eyes that cannot see. In fact, I love that passage in Matthew that where he says where, where two or three are gathered, that's where I am. I'm going to be right there with you. He knows when the smallest group of people meet. He knows when my wife and I are, are meeting together at the breakfast table for prayer. He knows uh, if I go to the deepest part of the sea, he's there. If I go to the highest part of the heavens and and I... And, I know Elon Musk wants to take a group of people and send them to Mars. And, and if we should ever be able to go that far, the Lord is there too. We cannot ever escape his presence. And so all of those things is why he says, that, why would you want to have a God of anything else? Because no one is like her God. No one can be comparable, can be comparable to him. So as we look at this passage and look at verse 4 again, you shall not make for, make for yourself an idol. So what is an idol? We suggested an idol is two things. Here in verse 4, it's, an idol can be something that we make. He says, Do not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. And so right out of the gate, an idol is something that we conjure up. It's something that we make that, that replaces or represents what we think God is like. And he says, Don't make anything like that. Uh, be careful that you elevate something that you make into something that is going to be your provider, your protector. Uh, I see a lot of folks that wear a cross around their neck. That could be a good thing. It could be a good thing to identify and wear a cross that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's not just a decoration. It's a declaration that I stand with Christ. But there are some who wear a cross because it's their good luck charm. They think that if they can wear a cross that they'll maybe get a home run. Or if they wear a cross, they'll be successful in their business. And, and it's just like a lucky rabbit's foot that they wear. Or maybe if there's something else in your life that you think has a particular charm, the Bible says that's an idol. When I was in the construction business, I, I knew of some individuals who were taking a statue uh, of a saint and, and burying it in their yard that, that if they did so, that their house would sell quicker. That's idolatry, is what the Lord says. And that ought to have no place in our lives. We ought to recognize that, that the power of God is not in an image of things. I've seen, I've seen businesses that sell angels because, boy, if you can put angels around your house, you'll have special protection. That's idolatrous. A second definition of the idolatry of those is, is that if there's any excessive adoration of anything that we hold more important to God, and boy, that touches our heart because there's a lot of good things that we have in our life. You know, family's a good thing, but it can be idolatrous when it takes precedent. Rest can be a good thing, but it can be idolatrous if it takes precedent in our life. Entertainment can be a good thing, but it can be idolatrous if that's really what we're living for. And so I, as I began just exploring, you know, what are some things that we see in our culture today that can become idolatrous. I'd like for you to ask that question as a family when you go home later today. And maybe even after you listen to this message that you take some time around your home and, and you begin to think, well, Lord, open my eyes to see the things around me that, that, that our culture has elevated to position higher than God. I'm gonna suggest several things to you. I think today, I think many of you agree to me, would agree with me that the issue of safety is becoming idolatrous. Uh, we are ceasing to become the people of God because we're, we're, we're becoming fearful of, 
of what's going on around us. And our government is not helping us by exaggerating some of the things that have been taking place with the virus. And so we're fearful to engage with people. We're, uh, we're, we're seeing people wear masks even when they're in their car. This morning I saw a man riding a bicycle with a mask on. Really, folks? Really? When I was back east, one of the things that touched me is we visited an Amish farm. It's it's a tourist area where you can see how the Amish live. And, and one of the things that was displayed on the kitchen table was a very large book. It was called Martyr's Mirror. And that book that was probably about a thousand pages long recorded many, many, many stories of individuals who lost their life and property for the cause of Christ. And we were told that day that that every day in many Amish homes, they would read one of those stories to help their children understand what it means to stand alone for Christ. Folks, we have a rich history of men and women who are bold for Christ. There were hundreds of missionaries that left their safety in Europe and other places to, to be the pioneers into China and to Africa and to the, and the, and the Pacific Islands, knowing that great dangers laid in store for them. I was a missions pastor here at Big Valley Grace a number of years ago, and I remember Sam Gibson, one of our youth leaders at the time, said, Lonnie, the greatest impediment for our young people to dare to be a missionaries are moms and dads who tell them, you don't want to do that. It won't be safe if you do. Stay here. Raise your children. Stay here. You'll be safer here. When my wife and I had an opportunity to travel to Africa and to spend several weeks there, uh, about six weeks there in Africa, we had to wrestle with what it meant to leave our family behind and the whole issue of safety and realizing that we're as safe as God wants us to be, that we live by an appointment. And when that appointment is up, he's going to take us home, whether I'm here or in Africa or Israel, wherever it's at. And I've seen that this issue of safety has intimidated people to keep them from being the bold men and women that God wants us to be. For if God is for us, folks, who could ever be against us? I've seen happiness, the pursuit of happiness, becoming a false idol in many Christians' life, where many young men and young women will lay aside the directives of the Lord and, and to say, well, well you know, maybe it's really not a bad thing to hang out with, with people who don't love Jesus. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, don't be deceived, don't be fooled, don't be tricked. Bad company corrupts gold, good morals and and." And in pursuit of happiness and acceptance, we have many that look at that and say, you know, I don't really think that that's true. And they'll make it their, their great effort to do whatever they can to find peace and happiness in their life apart from Christ. That's an idol. Self is an idol. I, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but look at Facebook. Look at Instagram. Look at other social media sites. Look at the preponderance of pictures that say, look at me. Look what I'm eating. Look what I'm doing. Look how pretty my hair is. There's a terrible elevation of self. And folks, it permeates our culture. When this is done, look at the lyrics from the, sing from the songs that were sung to the um, animation of Frozen. Here's one of the things that uh, Elsa sang about. Show yourself. Step into power. Grow yourself into something new. You are the one you've been waiting for all your life. Show yourself. Sometimes being brave means, means letting everyone down but yourself. Is it, 
is part of our culture today, where self is being elevated, where we decide what's right and wrong, not this book here. Materialism is elevated, and we see this by the extraordinary debt that many people carry. Success is a current day idol. Well, we'll do anything to be successful. I saw this when I was in sales where different ones would make significant compromises just to get a sale because that commission, they had to have that commission. And the Lord is calling us to live differently than that. He's calling us to trust in Him and to wait upon Him. So when we look at this passage in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, this is a passage about worship. How do we worship the Lord God Almighty? How do we make Him number one in our life? And last week, Pastor Rick suggested four different ways by which we can elevate Christ to be Lord of our lives. But how do we worship Him the way that He desires to be worshipped? I want to suggest several things. One is I, to, to properly worship, we should prepare ourselves for worship. I mean, what we do the Saturday night before, man, we, we need to guard our activities so that we are well rested when we come to the Lord's Day on Sunday and to worship. Uh, we have to prepare our children ahead of time to say, you know, tomorrow we're going to go as a family to worship the Lord. So we need to be rested. So no overnights on Saturday night so that we can be together as a family on Sunday. It's a time to read the word and prepare our hearts. And, I, and, it's, and when we come to the field or when we come into uh, the, inner, uh, the inner auditorium, you know, what are we doing with our phones? Are we preparing ourselves for worship? It's a time to quiet the heart. And I, I love seeing people who come early and, and they're in prayer and they're looking at the word, they're reading the scriptures ahead of time. They're preparing their heart for what the, God, what the Lord has for them on that day. Our worship should be God-centered. Uh, the reason that we come on, on any given weekend is that He is the reason that we come. Yes, it's nice to see friends and yes, it's great to hear great music, but, but this is about the Lord. It's about meeting with Him. It's not, about what, it's not about me, it's about Him. Thirdly, we should come with joy, gladness, and thanksgiving. I, I love Psalm 100. In fact, later I'm going to ask you as a family to go through Psalm 100. But David says that we come to the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving. We give thanks to Him. We bless His name for the Lord is good. And we are the sheep of His pasture. It is He who has made us and not ourselves. And so when we come into worship, and the right way of worshiping is we come with joyfulness gladness. We come with thanksgiving knowing that the Lord has been our provider. He's been our protector. And we look back and we rejoice at all that He has done. We also come into His presence with songs and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart. And that's what I love about the worship here. And we're very conscientious about what we sing and, and the words that we sing to make sure that they are a reflection of our heart that we bring as a gift to our Heavenly Father. Our worship should also be word-centered. Uh, coming on a weekend should not be just an emotional experience. So the Lord has given us emotions and He wants to touch our heart. And He wants us, our hearts to swell with gladness. But He also wants to speak to us according to His word. And shame on us if we ever, if we ever move away from His word. As I visited many churches, one of the first things I look at it, as I walk through a parking lot is, is anybody carrying a Bible? Are they going to open up the Word? Are they going to be able to read the Word? Are we, are we teaching our people how to find the books of the Bible and read it? So I, I, I know there's a good use for phones that have, you know, instant, you know, have the, have the Bible on the phone or on the iPad. 
but boy, there is nothing like having the Word and turning the pages and writing down notes and studying the Word. Encourage, we encourage you to do that and encourage your, your worship to be Word-centered. But our worship should also be in relationship to one another. We were designed to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We we're designed to be an encouragement to one another. That's a part of what I shared a few weeks ago, that as we see the day drawing near, as the times around us are changing, how much more do we need each other? And to help each other to not drift away from the Word, to continue to have this being central into our lives. And so the Lord never intended us to be little islands of, of, of a relationship where He alone is the only thing in our life. Uh, he's... He's brought us into relation with one another where they see the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so, you know, there are times where, where we are homebound and we can't leave our homes. But if we are physically able, we need to be connected to a local body of Christ. And so if you're watching this broadcast from a distance far away from Modesto, get connected to a local church. That's where the life really is, where people can pray for you and support you and encourage you as you see the day drawing near. Also, when we come to worship, our, our prayer should be God-centered, not self-centered. That's where we, we say to him, Lord, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in our lives as it is done in heaven. That should be our prayer. That's why we come here and worship. It's so that the Lord's kingdom would come in our lives and it would be done in our lives just as it's done in heaven every single moment of every single day. It also is an opportunity for us where we come and we offer ourselves. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that the ultimate experience of worship is when we present ourselves before him as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to the Lord. He finds great delight when people come to him and say, Lord, here my use me. Lord, you have strategically placed me in this business. You may be the only light in your business where people see Jesus. Your home may be the only home in your neighborhood where people can see Jesus. All of those are strategically placed by our loving Father who wants people to come to know Him. And He, and he does, and he, just, he loves it when we present ourselves to Him and say, Lord, here am I, here am I. I want to give you a couple challenges as we close. And how to put this into practice. How do we make Jesus Christ our one and only? How, how do we come to Him and really worship Him? I want to ask you, to, as you contemplate after you listen to this message today, is there anything in your home, is there anything in your life that's hindering your worship? Is there anything right now that's holding you back? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, He says that, that if I am at odds with my brother... I need to make it right before I worship. Then my worship is acceptable to Him. And so it's good to do just a, a, a self-check. Lord, is there anything in my life? And ask that with your children too. Is there anything, kids, in our home here that, that is maybe dishonoring to Christ? Because sometimes we become blind to the things that are so obvious for others to see. And maybe it's the things that we're watching on TV. Maybe it's the magazines that we're subscribing to. Maybe it's the things that we're looking at on the Internet. Maybe it's the secret habits of our heart that we just need to be honest before God and say, God, would you clean me and change me? And here's your assignment. I encourage you to take Psalm 100 and Psalm 145, Psalm 100 and Psalm 145, and use those two chapters as an outline for your praise. So Psalm 100 says, Shout to the Lord with joy. 
Come before him with joyful song. Know that as the Lord, he is our God. It is he who has made us, not ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture. And park on every one of those verses. Psalm 145 says, I exalt you, O Lord, my God and King. I'll bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you. I'll bless your name forever and ever. Do that. And use Psalm 100, Psalm 145 as an outline of your praise and your own personal worship and preparation for what God has in store for you when you join us next week. May the Lord bless you as you study his word, as you apply his word, as you encourage one another, and then you present yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, this week, Lord, would you use me? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this privilege and opportunity to share your word here today. And Lord, ultimately what really counts is what you would have to say to us. And so, Lord, would you refine our hearts? Would you renew our hearts? Would you refresh our hearts in you? For, Lord, you are the one who invites us to come. He said, any who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. You're personal. You're real. You are near. He says, and I'll give you rest if you'll just come to me. He says, I'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding if you'll come to me. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us to be your people, that we would truly be a people set apart for your glory, a holy priest that others are drawn to you because Lord, of, of not only how we live our life, but us being not ashamed and not being intimidated, but we boldly declare you before others. And so, Lord, we lay ourselves before you here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today.